Welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 2, Episode 22 in the Book of Daniel. The vision of the ram, the goat, and the little horn. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today in this 22nd episode in the Book of Daniel, now in Chapter 8, we observe Daniel's second vision and the empire is again symbolized by animals. More details are offered in the coming 400 years after Daniel's lifetime and the dark days that will come to pass very soon. All right, back to Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me earlier. I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa in the province of Elam. I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. I saw the ram charging to the west, the north, and the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted and became great. As I was observing... A male goat appeared, coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came toward the two-horned ram had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram, and infuriated with him, he struck the ram, breaking his two horns, and the ram was not strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat acted even more arrogantly, but when he became powerful, the large horn was broken. Four conspicuous horns came up in its place, pointing toward the four winds of heaven. From one of them, a little horn emerged and grew extensively toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth, and trampled them. It acted arrogantly even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. In the rebellion, the army was given up, together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the speaker, How long will the events of this vision last? The regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and of the army to be trampled. And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, and then the sanctuary will be restored. All right, back to verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me earlier. As we learned in chapter 5, Belshazzar was co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. Nabonidus lived for, or far to the south and turned over Babylon and the northern part of the kingdom over to Belshazzar. When Daniel has this vision, it would be approximately 550 B.C. The Medo-Persian Empire was growing, and Belshazzar was fearful of this and tried to develop an alliance with Egypt and Lydia. Daniel here receives another vision that gives more details to the vision in chapter 7. 
especially about the period in the next 400 years and what is about to take place. There is no hint in this vision that it took place at night or it took place while Daniel slept. Verse 2, I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa, in the province of Elam. I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal. Was Daniel in Susa in the vision, or was he in Susa when he received the vision? Well, I believe the way it is written, the intention is that Daniel found himself in Susa as part of the vision. Other prophets were transported to other places as part of the vision, including Ezekiel. Susa, or Susa was located about 220 miles or 360 kilometers east of Babylon and 150 miles or 240 kilometers north of the Persian Gulf. At the time of the vision, Susa was the capital of Elam and later became a royal city of the Medo-Persians. Darius would build a grand palace there. Both Esther and Nehemiah would come from Susa. And this would now be located in current-day Iran. The Ulai Canal was a waterway that passed close to Susa to the northeast. It was about 900 feet wide, and today this canal is completely dry. Verse 3. I looked up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. So what does Daniel see beside the canal? He sees a ram with two horns, with one larger than the other. Now remember that the horn denotes power. This ram kingdom, with two leaders, and one stronger than the other, clearly is represented by the coming Medo-Persian Empire that would destroy the Babylonian Empire virtually overnight, as we had seen in chapter 5. This vision for Daniel comes prior to that event. The ram was a fitting symbol as the Persian ruler would carry the gold head of a ram when marching before his army. Media was more powerful of the, the alliance between the two, the alliance with Persia, as we see in history until Cyrus came to power and then the Persians became dominant. So this is very accurately depicted in Daniel with the horns of this ram. And it says one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. Verse 4, I saw the ram charging to the west, the north, and the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted, and he became great. So what were the characteristics of this ram? Well, he was powerful enough to charge north, south, and west. And no other kingdom could stand in its way. To the west, the medial Persian Empire conquered Babylonia, Syria, Asia Minor, and they kept raiding Greece. That'll come back later. <laughs> to the north, they conquered Armenia, Scythia, and the Caspian Sea area. To the south, Egypt and Ethiopia. The Medo-Persians would be large and a powerful uh, kingdom and empire, and they held more land than any other kingdom up to that point. Verse 5. As I was observing, a male goat appeared coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. The goat had a, a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Well, however, another powerful empire comes next envisioned as this goat. 
This goat comes from the west and was quick and powerful with a very powerful leader. The speed in which this empire takes over is eluded by the goat by not even touching the ground from the west. And what nation was the west that the Persians had hassled? That was the country of Greece. The goat was this Greek empire led by the charismatic Alexander the Great. The large horn between the eyes of the goat was Alexander the Great. C. Miller states that Alexander the Great was one of the great military strategists of history. Alexander's father had united Greece and Macedonia, was planning to attack Persia, but then he was murdered. Then his son Alexander took over at the age of 20 in 336 BC, and within the next three years, Alexander would conquer the entire Near East and destroy the Persian Empire. Verse 6. He came toward the two-horned ram had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram and infuriated with him. He struck the ram, breaking his two horns, and the ram was not strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. This action by the goat toward the two-horned ram accurately details exactly how Greece attacked Persia with force and fury. There was a great deal of hatred towards the Persians because of invasions, and Alexander wanted his revenge. All right, verse 8. Then the male goat acted even more arrogantly, but when he became powerful, the large horn was broken. Four conspicuous horns came up in its place, pointing toward the four winds of heaven. Alexander conquered most of the known world, making Greece the greatest nation on earth and changing the language of commerce for all the world to Greek. That would benefit the gospel message of Christ to be shared throughout the world quickly because of the Greek language was shared throughout the world. Alexander became seriously conceited and wanted the provinces to worship him as a god. And that was considerably resented and then he was probably stricken with malaria because Alexander the Grant died at the age of 32 from a fever he left two sons who were both then murdered then after severe infighting the empire was divided amongst four military generals or four military leaders this would be the conspicuous horns the four conspicuous horns that arise after the large horn was broken. From the New English Translation Bible, they have notes that these four leaders, Cassander, who took Macedonia and Greece, Lysimachus, who took Thrace and parts of Asia Minor, Seleucus, who took Syria and territory to its east, and Ptolemy, who took control of Egypt. Verse 9, from one of them a little horn emerged and grew extensively towards the south, the east, and toward the beautiful land. So from one of these four generals comes a little ambitious horn that grew toward the southeast and toward the beautiful land, this beautiful land being Israel. This would be the eighth leader from the Seleucid Greek Empire. His name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He ruled from 175 to 163 BC. Antiochus and his evil agenda was very significant and was going to be very awful and horrific for the Jewish people. 
Antiochus was not the right person to succeed, but because of his bribery and flattery, he was able to take over instead of his brother, Seleucus IV. He had made conquests in Egypt and Persia, as well as Palestine. Verse 10, It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall to the earth, and trampled them. Now this is a very interesting verse, and a very interesting description of Antiochus. This dude was so arrogant against God and his people, he asserted himself against them. He would persecute the Jewish people and assassinated the high priest Onias III. And it was his death that started the persecution and ended with the rededication of the temple. He executed literally thousands of Jewish people who resisted him. When Antiochus was defeated in battle by the Roman commander Apollius Lyanus, Antiochus falling back on Jerusalem, sacked the temple, and he murdered many that opposed him. This is said to have included 80,000 men, women, and children, and infants. In, in December of 167 BC, Antiochus erected an altar to Zeus inside the temple and offered a sacrifice of a pig on it. This is horrific to the Jewish citizens. Any believer in Yahweh, this was just a horrible uh, demeaning of the temple. And this is probably the intent behind some of the stars falling and getting trampled. Verse 11, it acted arrogantly even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. The prince of the heavenly army seems unlikely to be any earthly person and it describes Antiochus acting against this army of God and he revoked the daily sacrifice that is required in the temple he sacked the sanctuary he felt like all the Greek gods were superior he attacked the temple and those all those who worshiped there his command that all the Jewish laws needed to be outlawed that all the sacrifices had to stop he placed himself firmly against God and his people and the temple itself was desecrated. Verse 12. In the rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. In First and Second Maccabees, it is mentioned that the sins of the Jewish people themselves may have led to the desecration by Antiochus. This may be the rebellion here in verse 12. Antiochus was successful in desecrating the temple and halting sacrifices and persecuting the Jewish people. These were three horrible years under Antiochus. He attempted to destroy all the Hebrew scriptures. Now in Maccabees, which is not found in the canonical scripture, but in 1 Maccabees 1.56, and when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they found, they burnt them with fire. And whoever was found with any of the book of the testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's commandment was that they should be put him, them to death. He attempted to rid the world of the word of God. Well, this has been tried many times, but it always fails, only to have the person that wants to get rid of it be destroyed themselves. We could check in with Jehoiakim in the Jeremiah chapter 36, when he tore up the scroll that Jeremiah had dictated, because he didn't like what it said. He didn't like the fact that it said that Jerusalem was going to fall to Babylon. 
In Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 30, Therefore this is what the Lord says concerning King Jehoiakim of Judah. You will have no one to sit on David's throne, and his corpse will be thrown out to be exposed to the heat of the day and the frost of night. I will punish him, his descendants, and his officers for their iniquity. I will bring on them, on the residents of Jerusalem and on the people of Judah, all the disaster which I warned them about, but they never listened. Verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the speaker, How long will the events of this vision last, the regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and of the army to be trampled? Two heavenly beings now appear in Daniel's vision. One is asking how long will the events last, including the forbidden regular sacrifices, and how long Antiochus's violent control over the temple will take place. The angels are very interested in the timing and affairs of God's people. And I still think angels today are still very interested in the timing and the affairs of God's people. Verse 14, he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings in the sanctuary will be restored. The answer given now to Daniel was a question asked for Daniel's benefit. This period of 2,300 days being about six years and four months. Although the extreme persecution was for three years, something important kicked off this six-year period, and that was in 170 B.C., the former high priest, Onias III, was murdered at the urging of a rival wicked priest, Menelaus, whom Antiochus had appointed to that position for a bribe. This was the beginning of the trouble in Jerusalem. In 169 B.C., Antiochus looted the temple and murdered some of the people. The altar to Zeus was not set up until 167 B.C., and just over three years after the altar of Zeus was set up, Judas Maccabeus cleansed and rededicated the temple on December the 14th, 164 B.C. This is since celebrated by the Jewish people as the Feast of Hanukkah. From 170 B.C. to 164 B.C. would be those 2,300 days. Again, I hope you enjoy this Season 2 study in the book of Daniel. Next episode 23 in chapter 8, we will look at the interpretation of the vision by the angel Gabriel. God bless you today, and I encourage you to spend some time in God's Word. Please note that Biblical Tapestry is available on Facebook and Instagram, and I encourage you to like and share this podcast if you feel that it is deserved. God bless you and ask you to be well.